He's going to go all in. He's not just going to dip his toes in the water, sink or swim. He's going to dive in all the way. All of his resources, all of his wealth, all of his time, all his energy, all his creativity. He even says, I used all of my wisdom to go as deep as possible to test the depth of pleasure, to see if it would stand up, to consume as much pleasure as humanly possible was his goal. Now pause with me just for a minute. Solomon was king, ruler. Uh, there was no one who could stop him. There was no one who could tell Solomon, no, you really shouldn't do that. that that's a little bit beyond the bounds. That's not no one could, he was the rule maker. He was the judge. He was the rule breaker, and nobody told him, quit. He lacked no resources for this grand experiment. I want to give you just a taste of his resources. First uh, Kings chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, uh, says something very interesting. This was Solomon's daily provisions for his home. So each and every day, here was his provisions. These are the daily requirements to take care of King Solomon. Solomon's daily provisions, verse 22, were 30 cores of the finest flour. That's five tons of flour, the best. Uh, 60 cores of meal. That's 10 tons of meal. We're just getting started. What else were the daily provisions to take care of Solomon? 10 head of stall-fed cattle. The best beef. 10 of them slaughtered, butchered every day. And 100 sheep and goats. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get some deer, some gazelles, some roebucks. You know, we, we need some wild game, don't you think, Chase? Good stuff. And in some choice file, chickens, ducks, turkeys, geese. It's estimated that amount of food would feed between 15 and 20,000 people. 15 to 20,000 people were feasting off of the king's table. So when he's chasing after pleasure, it's not just him. He realized it's fun to take a lot of people with him and invite a lot of people to his banquets, to his parties, to all the fun stuff that he was doing. Now, just pause for a moment. Can you imagine the number of farms and farm workers it would take to keep the king's table supplied? Just think for a second, you know? Every day, we need five more tons of flour. Every day, we need 10 more tons of meal. Every day, we need to have 10 well-fed cattle slaughtered and butchered and ready to be served to the king. Every day, we need to have 100 butchered sheep and goats, wild game, fattened fowl. It would take hundreds and hundreds, likely even into the thousands of farm workers just to take care of the king's table. And, and that's not even 
mentioning how many chefs, how many cooks, how many bakers, how many helpers, how many servers were needed to feed every day 15 to 20,000 people. Dennis, can, can you, you're, you just start thinking, and now this, this is like a factory. This is like thousands of people each and every day take care of the king's table. You need to understand, Solomon is going to put this test all the way to its fullest extent possible. He's, he's going to go all the way. Uh, he says, verse 10, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Can you imagine? Anything that looked good to him. Well, that looks like that could be fun. Well, that might be anything that looked good to his eyes. I refused my heart no pleasure. Most commentators believe he was in this search for decades. So he didn't just go in for a few weeks or a few months. It seems, and you'll see as we go, as he moves from one thing to another, he's in this for the long haul, and he took this experiment very seriously. He was all in. A decades-long search into pleasure. Would you please locate with me on your phone or in your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read out loud together the details of Solomon's plunge into pleasure. Stand with me if you're able, please. Let's read out loud. Verses 1 to 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here we go. This is God's word. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Let's pray. Lord, uh, 
we are grateful that we get to study this very interesting and unique book together to dig in. And I'm praying that the words we're going to look at today would wake us up. I pray that you would shake us from the inside out and help us, Lord, to look at our only lives, look at the lives that we're choosing to live, and if we have some of what we just read about going on in our own lives, chasing after stuff, running after this thing or that. So Lord, would you show us as we truly are what's going on on the inside? And I'm praying, Lord, that you might show us the pleasure that truly satisfies. And Lord, uh, the fact is, there's only one. I want to pause now and I want to pray for some here in the church family. Folks that uh, are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, there are many of them not with us today, and there are, some of them are going to be watching even right now. So I want to pray for Bill and Carol, and please give them lots of grace and strength even right now. Thanks for watching over Teresa and Gordon this past week, and I pray for continued healing. Continue to give Casey and Jen endurance as they watch over Casey's parents. I pray for Rachel and Nurse Kevin as she recovers. I pray for Jason, Pastor Jason over at the East Jordan location, Lord. Uh, he's right now talking about the very same thing we are. So, Lord, would you uh, help him as he opens up your book? I pray for uh, Pastor Joe Bono as he preaches up at Northridge. Lord, watch over the church family here at Walloon. Some here standing right now. It's been a bad week. Lord, would you bring encouragement and comfort as we dig into your word today. Speak, Lord. We gathered here today. We, uh, we face some icy roads. It's been a, a long, cold week. But Lord, thank you for getting us here. We're ready to hear from you as we dig into your book. We invite your spirit to be welcome today in your church. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, Amen. Laughter, I said. <laughs> laughter the king will have. You know, when the king says, I, I want to laugh, uh, then everybody better be thinking of their funniest joke. Every evening, it seems, they were having this banquet where 15 to 20,000 people were fed. So they're going to invite the funniest, the most entertaining folks of the day. Whoever they considered the comedians, the jesters, come. Solomon wants to laugh, so laugh he will. We're all going to bust a gut together. Uh, Sunday night, it's Kevin Hart. He comes personal uh, appearance before Solomon and all of his guests. Next night, it's Jim Gaffigan. Uh, Tuesday night, Jimmy Fallon live with Saul. Wednesday, Ellen brings her game of games to Saul's palace. Thursday, Chris Rock is making Solomon laugh. Friday, it's those redneck guys who play the palace. Uh, and Saturday, Jerry Seinfeld shows up 
going to make everybody laugh. The best of the best. The funniest of the funny. And here's what you need to say. Pastor Jeff, some of those comedians are, are profane. Exactly. And that's exactly where Solomon was at this point. He would not have cared. Doesn't matter. If it's off color, if it's X-rated, if it's full of profanity, doesn't matter. Solomon had drifted and strayed far from his God. I just want to laugh. I don't care about the content. I don't care if it pleases the Lord my God. He continues, verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good to do under the heavens during the few days of my life. Now, you need to understand the setting here. We know that he's got food for 15 to 20,000 people. So it seems he's inviting thousands with the best food, the best entertainment. Uh, alcohol is going to be the best that money can buy, and it's drink until you drop. Drink until you pass out. Do whatever you want to do. Slide down to verse 8, then add in that he's acquired the best, the most well-known singers of the time are going to be invited. I think it was stronger than that. We invite you, but you will show up. Solomon wants you to come and do a personal performance for him and all of his guests. So Sunday night, Beyonce and Jay-Z come. Going to start strong. Maroon 5 is there. Uh, you're done with the Super Bowl, come on, entertain before King Solomon. Tuesday, Justin Timberlake and Taylor Swift show up. They're going to sing. Uh, Wednesday is rap night in Jerusalem. Eminem and Kanye show up. Thursday, Ed Shireen sings for Saul along with Rihanna. Friday night is country night at the palace. Did you know that? Blake Shelton, Carrie Underwood right there before Solomon, Saturday night is big, okay, they big, uh, Garth Brooks, Paul McCartney, and Mercy Me, I added them because they're my favorite, okay, so I might as well, yeah, yeah, Bart and the boys are going to be singing there on Saturday, maybe they had the Jerusalem Philharmonic Orchestra, this is going to be night after night after night, you understand, uh, the best food, the best booze, the best bands, the best singers. And the party is going to go on and on. It seems like we're going to go as late as we want. We're going to go to two, three, four. Solomon didn't have a bedtime. He was the king. We can go till two, three, four. We can sleep till noon. We can sleep till two in the afternoon. And then we're going to do it all again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. He throws the biggest bashes, the best parties, and he's doing it over and over and over again. Now, I want you to notice verse 3. He very carefully lets us know, I wasn't so hungover that I still wasn't aware of my great experiment. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. <laughs> Doesn't seem so wise to me, you're thinking. Wisdom in this sense. I'm conducting this experiment with precision. 
I, I've got this, this test going on with pleasure, and I'm not going to miss anything. I'm going to cover all the known bases very carefully. I'm going to stay on task because I'm going to chase pleasure, and I'm going to see if massive parties and the best comedians and the best booze and the best singers, the best of the best in every way over a long extended time, maybe that will satisfy. Slide down to verse 4. Because it seems like this scene grows a little wearisome. Uh, and now he says, I'm about to move on. This is in my mind, I'm thinking Solomon saying, you know, I put on 25 pounds. I'm getting tired of waking up with hangovers every morning. The comedians are starting to repeat their jokes. The singers, they're getting hoarse. They've got no new material. I think I'm going to try something new. So he does. Verse 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I undertook great projects. This is the new thing. Um, I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I, I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house, and I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else ever in Jerusalem before me. Give you a little background here. You go to 1 Kings chapter 6, all the way to 1 Kings chapter 9, 6, 7, 8, and 9, it's recorded Solomon building the temple of the Lord. And it seems at that time, Solomon was doing it God's way. He was living in alignment with God's word. He, he was living strong for Jehovah God. Took him seven years to erect the place where Jehovah's Shekinah glory shone bright. Understand? This was the place Israel came to offer sacrifices to cover their sin. This was the place they came for festivals to remember what Jehovah had done and what Jehovah would continue to do for them. But then beginning in 1 Kings 7, you can look it up this next week. That'll be your homework. Uh, Solomon constructs a house, a palace for himself. So it took seven years to build the temple. It says... In 1 Kings 7, but it took 13 years for him to construct his palace. You understand here? He's going to take his time because it's going to be amazing. And it, it talks in 1 Kings 7 about his palace. Massive cedars from Lebanon. The palace, 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. Ceilings were 45 feet high. Massive porch columns, porch 75 feet long, 45 feet wide, and adjacent to his personal residence, he had this massive house of judgment where King Solomon sat on his throne and ruled and reigned all of Israel at this time as king. It says the finest stone was quarried, cut to size. His palace had inner and outer courtyards 
finished to perfection. And that's just his house. It then says he built a palace just like his own palace for number one wife, Pharaoh's daughter. Second Chronicles chapter 8, you can write that down, look it up later. Solomon built entire cities. Uh, he, he built them out of the wilderness. He fortified them with his private army. And it says he had 12,000 horses and 1,400 chariots. Unheard of at that time. He built houses and vineyards and gardens and parks. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, here's some ruins still there today. This is a picture of some of the infrastructure. This is the pools of Solomon. In order to do all of this building, all of these garden, all of these parks and vineyards and forests that he created, he needs infrastructure. He, he needs to build water systems. Some of those water systems you can still see the ruins of today. It's estimated that Solomon had a personal staff. Think about it. These were his uh, servants who took care of his every whim, 15 to 20,000 staff. 15 to 20,000 staff to take care of the needs of the palace and Solomon. It seems that Solomon wanted to build things that would last now. I want to build things that will stand the test of time. And sure enough, you can even today see some of the remnants of what Solomon built. So Solomon begins his pleasure plunge with massive parties and banquets and performances. Verses 4 to 7, he moves into his building phase, I call it. And here's what he said, I will build, I will plant, I will create. He wasn't building these things for the Lord. Who, who was Solomon building all of this stuff for? I was, I was building it for me, for my pleasure, for my being well-known and well-respected. Now, verses 8 and 9, Solomon moves from self-glorifying pleasure and building to selfish consumption. You're going to see what I mean by that in a minute. He's, he's just going to consume things, and he's going to accumulate things, wealth and treasure, at a rate the world has never seen before. Verse 8 says this, I amassed silver and gold for myself. How did he do that? Taxation, primarily. And the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. Here's, here's his assessment of himself. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I was the greatest ever. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. 1 Kings 10, 14 to 22, tell us how much money was coming into Solomon's treasury. Every year, 666 talents of gold came into Solomon's treasury. Well, what does that mean? Okay, this, this spoke to me. Every year, 
he received 25 tons of gold as king. And that didn't include, it says, all the trades he made with the Arabian kings and governors. So he kind of had a little separate funnel of money, but this is from taxation primarily, 25 tons of gold. 1 Kings 10 said, he had so much gold that he had 200 large shields. You know, when, when the arrows are flying, when, when you're doing hand, large shields hammered out of solid gold. 200. And just for kicks, it says, and he, he had 300 smaller shields hammered out of gold. Now, if you just pause and you think, well, that's not very practical because gold is really soft, and you're about to catch a sword, you don't want to be having a golden shield. So you need to understand, this was just for looks. This was just to shine and glisten and impress. This had very little practical application. This was just for fun. King Solomon, it says, had this massive throne and 1 Kings goes into detail about his throne, carved out of ivory and pure gold. Next to his seat were armrests with lions carved in them, and he had six steps up the throne, and on each of the six steps on each side was a carved lion. What was the message, do you suppose? <laughs> Who's the king of the jungle? <laughs> it's me, Solomon is shouting. I got all these, these carved golden lions carved. Uh, in all of Solomon's goblets, 1 Kings 10, 21, were yetis, because he wanted to keep it really cold and really hot. You think so? All of his goblets, the only thing he would drink out of were goblets that were solid gold. That, that was all that he would drink out of. One economist estimates, looking at the talents coming in, that Solomon's net worth at this time was north of $2.2 trillion in today's currency. $2.2 trillion. So how does that compare with the Amer America's richest man today? According to Fortune magazine, and this number goes up and down depending on the, the price of Amazon stock, but Jeff Bezos, the uh, richest man in America today, is worth around $160 billion. So I, I needed to do a little Googling now, uh, but here's what I discovered. It takes 1,000 billions to equal 1 trillion. Tracking with me? 1,000 billions equals a trillion, okay? So Jeff Bezos has 160 billion. He's not even close to 1,000. King Solomon had 2.2 trillion. So, so he makes the richest of the rich today look kind of poor and meagerly in comparison. Now, to finish off his plunge into pleasure, here's what Solomon says, verse 8. I acquired singers, talked about that, and I acquired a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. So when he was accumulating all of his wives and his concubines, 
That was a part of this plunge into pleasure. That was an intentional choice. Uh, and if you go to 1 Kings 11 and verse 3, we looked at that last week, it tells us that Solomon, in his plunge into pleasure, acquired 700 wives, 300 concubines. Now just pause with me for a moment and consider this. If he spends one night with each of his wives and concubines, it's going to be almost three years before he circles back and spends night number two. Pastor Matt Chandler said it this way. I'm going to let him take the heat. Uh, Solomon did not want for shape, for eye color, for hair color, for personality. Solomon ran out of fantasy. You just need to understand what he's implying here. Every sexual thing you could imagine, it was available. Anything I could imagine. Verse 9, why? Because I was the greatest king in Jerusalem ever. I could do whatever I want. I make the rules. No one tells me no. I am the rule keeper and the rule breaker. Verse 10, here's what he says. I denied myself Nothing. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing too expensive. Nothing too over the top for me. No checks, no balances, no rules. That's his life right here. I gave this test, this experiment, the best I had to give for decades. Please understand, this wasn't just for a short little time. All of these projects and everything he's building up, this went on for decades. And now his conclusion is this, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And we're thinking, wait, <clears throat> time out. Uh, but you just experienced so much, Solomon. You had the best comedians and the best musicians at your disposal. Solomon, you had the best food and the greatest parties ever thrown. Solomon, you had incredible real estate. And, and you built these massive palaces and private gardens and tens of thousands of servants to take care of your every whim. You built massive armies. You had thousands of horses and chariots. You fashioned everything around you out of gold. You had sex with 1,000 gorgeous wives and concubines. You're the most famous man on earth. You've been blessed with tremendous wisdom. Look again at verse 11. This is huge. And yet without God, that's what you need to understand, under the sun, apart from the God of the Bible... Without Jesus in his everyday life, King Solomon said it was nothing. It was a chasing after the wind. It was meaningless. Solomon was miserable at the end of his search. <laughs> he tested it all. It's vain. There's nothing to it. Here's what you need to know. Some of us today, 2019, 
even in church, we're following Solomon's example. Some of us here today, sitting right here today, I believe some of us, we're, we're trying to do Solomon's test in our own little miniature small way ourselves. And here's how it goes. It goes something like this. Um, if I could just graduate from high school, if I could just get this college out of my way, if I could just get out from underneath my parents' rules, well then, I'd be happy. I really would. I'm pretty sure that'd be great. Which leads to, if I could just get a really good job that pays well, one that I really enjoy, well then I'd be good with life. Which morphs into, if the Lord would just hurry up and bring the right man or the right woman into my life, I got my checklist here, so I got it out and I'm checking. If the Lord would just bring that right person, Mr. Right or, or Mrs. Right, well surely then I'm going to be content and satisfied. Which moves into, you know what's missing in my life right now? I just need children. And children would make our household complete and whole. Which then soon moves on to, if I could just go on a really good vacation and get out of the cold, if I could just own a car that's dependable, if we just had a nicer home, surely then I'd be happy and satisfied. Which finally ends up being, if I just had enough money in my retirement account, then I could retire, and then surely my life would be great. I've got it made. Which leads to you die, and they put you in a box, and you end your life feeling just like Solomon, chasing after that one more. If I could, if I could just, if, if that was just true for me, that would bring me pleasure. I close by inviting you to go to the New Testament with me. We're going to go and see the new section and see, okay, that, that, that's what life under the sun is like. But I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, would you please? 1 Timothy chapter 6 says something very interesting and very insightful. Of course, it's God's book. But, but this is extra good regarding what we're talking about today. Uh, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness and being content with godliness, that's where real riches, lasting wealth lies. Godliness and being content with walking with God and being connected to God, that's what really is great gain in life. And then he says, verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Give me your eyes. Until we're content with godliness, we're not going to know real riches. What's godliness? You ready? It's allowing the God of the Bible, specifically Jesus Christ, to be the focus, to be the purpose, to be the daily pleasure that you seek after. 
Godliness is abiding and connecting and knowing and walking with Jesus Christ and allowing his fruit to produce good stuff in our lives. You understand? That's what godliness is all about. It's knowing Jesus and daily abiding and walking and staying connected to Jesus. That's where great gain and great riches, are you ready? And great pleasure is found. It's in knowing Jesus Christ, available to us. Jesus, alive and active in my daily life. I'm content with that. I'm telling you, that's riches. Solomon was on this decades-long search. And he searched in ways you and I will never be able to, because of his wealth, because of his resources, because of his power, he searched in ways you and I will never be able to search. Conclusion. Empty. Meaningless. No purpose. No satisfaction. And here we're on our little mini searches, pretty sure. I'm the, I, I think if I just get this job or this spouse or this nice house, or if I have this new techie thing, then I'm sure I'm going to be happy. point you to Jesus Christ, the one who came that we might have life to the full. I point you to Jesus Christ and walking with him. If you want life that's full and rich and content and real and alive, begin making connecting daily with Jesus the passion of your life. That's where real riches, lasting purpose begins with Jesus Christ. We cannot find true, lasting pleasure under the sun. We can only find true, lasting pleasure in the sun, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I close right now, and I would pray that you might forgive us for being satisfied with mud pies and garbage when you have lasting, eternal pleasure available to each of us to come and daily dine with the King, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you forgive us for chasing after all sorts of goofy stuff? And neglecting the very best thing. Lord, I pray that godliness, knowing your son, connecting with your son, daily walking with your son might become the chief purpose and priority of our lives. Lord, would you do some nudging, some prompting even right now in lives right now? Final question. How content are you right now, today? And if the answer is honest, you know what? I think there's something missing, and I've been running after lots of things. And that chasing, that search can end. Because the answer 
is found only in Jesus Christ. Anybody, as we close, just say, I need to make chasing after Jesus the number one priority of my life. I need to live strong for Jesus, and that's where real contentment and pleasure is found. Anybody say, need to go there. Anybody else? Yep, see some hands. Anybody else? Yep. Lord, help us to chase after strong and daily your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for uh, this search that was done so much better than we could ever do. And there's just such an honest, real, blunt conclusion. Might we believe your book and believe that only Jesus Christ can satisfy. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray.